Jude is a brief letter there towards the end of our New Testament, right before the book of Revelation. Jude and our passage we'll focus on this morning will begin with verse 14, 14 through 19. So Jude, verse 14 through 19, as I read it here for us. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds, of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters, favoring, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. Let us pray. Our Father, now as we have read your word and we turn our attention, Lord, to uh, consider it, we pray for your help, that your spirit would come, that your spirit would open our eyes, that your spirit would give us understanding and give us um, hope in your word. Lord, what an opportunity we have this morning as we receive the word of the Lord. I pray that you would help us to respond in a proper way, to take seriously what you say, to consider whether or not we are in need of repentance, and to seek that repentance humbly, knowing, trusting that you will give mercy to the humble, grace to the humble. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Well, as we approach the beginning of August, I know that there are many 14-year-olds who are entering this month with a little more anxiety than normal. Uh, they're probably feeling much like I felt in August of 1989 when uh, I was entering the ninth grade. Uh, you would think that uh, I would have been very excited and, and happy about what I was about to experience. Uh, I had been looking forward to the time when I could finally play high school sports. I looked forward to that all my life, and here I was about ready to begin practice for my high school football team. But instead of being excited, I was scared to death. I was anxiously losing sleep because I had heard of how the upperclassmen treated the freshmen on the football team in those first few weeks of practice, and I also knew because of my cocky attitude that I'd already gotten on the wrong side of several of these upperclassmen um, before practice even started. So two things uh, in particular were, were bothering me in those days leading up to the start of uh, football practice, and that is uh, how bad I had heard that these guys had treated the freshmen the year before. And secondly, how they had all gotten away with it. No one was going to turn them in. 
And therefore, they knew that they could do whatever they wanted. For you see, whenever there is no threat of judgment, wickedness goes unrestrained. As new freshmen approach uh, their first days in high schools across our country, only the most naive are not preparing to face the verbal barbs and intimidating behavior of mean upperclassmen. They know they'll have to deal with it. They, they, they know that they uh, must expect it. And what frustrates them is what also frustrates so many of us. And that is how it seems that those who seek to hurt others in this world so often get away with it. Men who physically and psychologically abuse the women they are with, so many who commit violent acts in our nation's cities and even totalitarian leaders like Vladimir Putin has proven himself to be so often seem to get away with their crimes. No one holds them accountable. There is no perfect system of justice in our society to hold all such criminals accountable. And so it can be frustrating. Be frustrating for us to seek to do what is just and right when it seems that the wicked are not held accountable. Well, from what we have just read from our scriptures this morning in Jude, God wants to both assure and warn us that he will indeed hold the wicked accountable. No one will escape his righteous judgment. He also wants to help us to identify and prepare for those who will seek to do evil in the midst of our churches so that we can prevent them from having influence over believers and keep them from leading our people astray. That's the focus of what Jude wrote in his letter in these verses that we're looking at this morning. And just like so many uh, incoming freshmen in anticipating their first weeks of high school, we ought to expect to deal with some bad characters in our churches. But unlike those freshmen, we ought to take comfort that the Lord has helped us to be prepared and we are to be assured that they won't ultimately get away with the harm that they do. So our main theme that we are looking at here from verses 14 through 19 of Jude is that we ought to expect to deal with the ungodly in our churches and be assured of their coming judgment. Now it's fairly clear just by the repeated words that, that Jude uses here what this passage is about. It's about the coming judgment of all the ungodly. Therefore we will focus on uh, what we are being shown here about the coming judgment and about the ungodly, so we can prepare ourselves for both. So first, judgment will be overwhelmingly thorough and all-encompassing. We see that verses 14 and 15. Judgment will be overwhelmingly thorough and all-encompassing. Now once again, here Jude mentions a name uh, in verse 14 that we would only know if we are familiar with the Old Testament. Uh, particularly Genesis chapter 5, Jude identifies Enoch here, that's the name, Enoch, as the seventh from Adam uh, because there was another Enoch who was a direct descendant of Cain listed in Genesis chapter 4. That's not the Enoch that Jude was referring to here. This Enoch that Jude's talking about is known as a man who walked with God in Genesis 5. 
A man who amazingly didn't die, but instead was taken up by God into heaven. Because we're told in Hebrews 11 verse 5, he was commended as having pleased God. And he was a prophet. And the prophecy of Enoch that Jude records here is not found in the Bible, but was well known to his audience as uh, recorded in the book of First Enoch. It was written uh, about a century before uh, Jude was uh, writing this here. And just like back in, in verse 9, Jude is taking a passage from a book outside of Scripture and using it uh, to, to make his point, using it as, as an illustration um, here to, to help the people to, to, to see that's not only in the Scripture uh, that, 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 that these things are being uh, talked about, but also in, in some of your own books. This prophecy of Enoch is a message we also find throughout the Scripture, so it's backed up by Scripture in Daniel chapter 7, in, in uh, Zechariah 14, as well as in the Gospels in Matthew 16, that the Lord will come with all his angels to bring judgment against all those who disregard his word and deliberately reject his ways. It's like uh, what, what, what Paul also does in Acts chapter 17 with the men of Athens. He, he uses something from their own books, uh, some poetry from their, their own books to show them that, that uh, it isn't just the scripture that teaches that they should take the coming judgment seriously, but also uh, what the, these other books say. And of course, that's where Jude's words directly hit us in our day, that we must take God's word on the coming judgment seriously, even in our churches. You know, do we take this coming judgment that's been revealed by us, for us by God seriously? When we read in the Bible about the coming day of the Lord, do we receive it as a reality and have it shape how we live? Does it have an effect on what we do? Are we going to take this coming judgment seriously? Today, we are hearing more and more from preachers and authors who claim to be Christians, even evangelicals who are teaching that God is a God of love and not wrath. That God would never condemn anyone, especially someone who is is being true to themselves and seeking to do good to others. I mean, it's, it's trendy now to say that, that, that the sins that the Bible says God will judge, especially sexual sins, well, they're just a, a, the, the, that's just a product of the times that those books were written in in those days. This is just a cultural thing. You know, God really won't, won't condemn anyone who follows their heart and whom they want to love. We are told that God will not require any real life change when you receive him. And he'll just accept you as you are. We ought not to fear any condemnation from God, we are told. And we definitely have no right to warn others who don't follow God of any condemnation that they might face for how they live. That seems to be uh, the general um, feeling today in our culture and even in some of our churches. We don't want to talk about judgment. We want to bring people in. We want to help them to know that, that, that God is, is a God that they would like to be with. But let's just take another look at what is written here in our Bibles in Jude 14 and 15 regarding, again, 
the coming judgment. In verse 15, or verse 14, it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such ungodly way, in such an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. God's word is saying judgment is coming. And in fact, judgment will be overwhelmingly thorough and all-encompassing. God as judge won't overlook anything. That, that is made clear by all the times we see the word all used in these verses. And notice though those four separate times here, we see the word all um, referring to the Lord will execute judgment on, 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 uh, on all when he comes, first of all. And then next, who the Lord will convict in his judgment, that is, to convict all the ungodly. We then hear what all the ungodly will be convicted of, that is, all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed. We are then told it will not just be all of their ungodly works, that is, their, their sinful actions that they will be judged for, but also of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. They will be held accountable also for what they have said about God and his Son, what they have taught other believers in the church, whether or not it's honoring to God, whether or not it's faithful to God's teaching, to God's word. As Jesus warns his disciples in Matthew 12, 36 and 37, I tell you, he says, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, he says, you'll be justified, and by your words, you'll be condemned. All, 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 and all. The Lord will come to execute judgment on all people, all the ungodly, for all their deeds, and for all their words. In our post-Christian culture today, the only people who we think deserve to face judgment are those who, you know, really do some bad things. You know, people, people like, like murderers, people people who are responsible for, for mass shootings, people who, it is just obvious, deserve to be held accountable, people who make the headlines. Therefore, it, it's pretty limited. It's only for a few who will really face judgment. Surely not all. But if it is everyone, as this text says, well, surely we won't be judged for everything we've ever done wrong. I mean, nobody's perfect, right? I mean, it's, it's not like we've really hurt anyone, at least nothing that's noticeable. Most things really can't be that big of a deal if we, if we barely notice them. Surely God wouldn't, wouldn't care about those things. But let's listen to what God's Word says in other places. In 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 5, it in that passage in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is confronting the Corinthian believers 
on their disunity, on their passing judgment uh, on, on others in their own congregation, on their even passing judgment on Paul and his ministry. And he reminds them of just who is going to be doing the judging. And it isn't them. He says in, in verse 5, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. The judgment to come will be a great day of revealing. It will be a day when Jesus Christ is revealed to all for who he really is, the sovereign, holy God and judge, the king, and he will reveal all people, all people who have ever lived for who they really are. Whether they are in Christ by faith or whether they have trusted in themselves for their righteousness before him. And every sin, every careless word, every lustful thought, every act of disobedience and unbelief will be brought into the light and will be judged. And the Lord will, as it says, convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Secondly, we see that judgment will be focused on our moral responsibility to God. Judgment will be focused on our moral responsibility to God. See that primarily in, in 15, 16, and verse 18. So remember who Jude is directing his warning of judgment towards here. In verse 14, he calls them these. It's about these, he says, that uh, Enoch uh, prophesied. All right, it's about these. So that points us back. Uh, to the previous verses, which have all been focused on, on them. Look at verse 11. Um, Woe to them, Jude is saying. So who are these? Who, who are them? Well, they are these people, back in verse 8, who were the false teachers. The false teachers who were relying on their dreams, it says in verse 8, defiling the flesh, rejecting authority, blaspheming the glorious ones. Jude never gives their names in this letter, but his readers would have known exactly who he was referring to. They're the same people who were first identified back in verse 4 as certain people who had crept in unnoticed, crept into the church. It is there in verse 4 where Jude first calls them ungodly people. We probably wouldn't use such a description very often today, maybe, maybe not even ever, uh, the word ungodly or the, the, the description ungodly seems a little strong for us. We might you know, acknowledge that certain people are flawed uh, or even disagreeable, but we wouldn't say they're ungodly. You know, so what did Jude mean by this term? Uh, just who were these folks and what, what makes them ungodly? Well, verse 4 provides us with a comprehensive definition of the ungodly. It says that they are those who pervert the grace of our God in the sensuality, that is, they have changed or they have disordered the message of the gospel of grace 
and they've turned into something to suit their own sinful, immoral desires. They were living for their own sensual pleasures, and they're claiming that God's grace in the gospel gave them license to live this way, license to sin in these ways, and in doing so, they ignored or rejected God's word. Well, that then leads us to the second point of the definition of who the ungodly were back there in verse 4. There are also those who deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. When you reject the word of Christ, or you change the word of Christ to suit your own pleasures, you are rejecting Christ. If you refuse to submit yourself under Christ's word, well then you are denying that that he's the Lord. You're putting yourself in that place. You're the Lord. You get to decide what's right and wrong. And if you refuse to serve him uh, in the way that he has directed, well, then you're rejecting him as your master. Again, now you're the master over him. So the ungodly are those who decide for themselves what is best for them to do. They serve another master. That master is sin. They may listen to what the Lord Jesus says. They may even acknowledge that, oh yeah, he, he is the Savior, but, but when it comes to obeying him and doing what he has called us to do, they prefer not to take their faith so seriously and just follow their own desires. Therefore, the ungodly aren't just the really bad and nasty people. They are the majority of people who live and work within our neighborhoods today. Ignoring the word or the commands of Christ and following their own desires of what they think is best for them, or as Jude puts it in verse 18, following their own ungodly passions. So the main thing we're going to notice here in verses 14 through 15 is that humanity is divided up then between those who are ungodly and those who are godly. Those who are ungodly and those who are godly. And it is the ungodly, it says, whom the Lord will convict in judgment for all their deeds of ungodliness. Our world is trying to influence us into believing that what really matters is making sure that you are pleasing the right people in our culture. That ultimately, it's the relationships that we have with those who are in power, those who are in the media, or even those who are popular in our own circles that really count. That's what what really counts for us. Make those people like us. Make those people happy. That uh, ultimately is what we are called by our culture to seek to do. Or others may, may say to us, uh, no, no, don't, don't worry about anybody else. Don't worry about anybody. Don't, don't concern yourself with what anybody else thinks. Instead, to thine own self be true. Just follow your heart. Seek to please yourself. And that is the only way to truly be happy. The only way to truly be satisfied in life is if you discover your own identity, who you really are, and only you know that. Don't let anybody else tell you that. That is the only people, only person you need to be concerned about. Yourself. But here we are shown in God's word, over and over again, that our primary responsibility is not to others, 
Not to those who are in power in our community or our society. Not to those who are in the popular crowd. Our primary responsibility, it says here, is not even to our family or even to ourselves. Your primary responsibility, the one for which you will be judged, is to God. To whether or not you are right with God. Whether or not you fear the Lord and are among the godly. Or, if you live without reverence or respect for the Lord and are among the ungodly. That's the primary relationship that we are to be concerned about. Over 100 years ago, the hymn writer Elisha Hoffman sought to to help the church consider their state before God in order to take uh, what Jude is getting at here in this passage seriously. Uh, His hymn called us to consider the incredibly important question, is thy heart right with God? It goes like this, is thy heart right with God? Washed in the crimson flood, cleansed and made holy, humble and lowly, right in the sight of God. Is there no more condemnation for sin? Is thy heart right with God? Does Jesus rule in the temple within? Is thy heart right with God? Are all thy powers under Jesus' control? Is thy heart right with God? Does he each moment abide in thy soul? Is thy heart right with God? The Son of God came to make a way for the ungodly to be right with God. He suffered the judgment and condemnation for our sin on the cross. He died to make atonement for our sin so that we would not have to be convicted of all of our ungodly deeds and all the harsh things we have ever said against him in our ungodliness, but instead, if we would humble ourselves before him, repent of all our ways of living that were against him, repent of of seeking to make ourselves right with God on our own, and instead depend fully on the saving work of Christ on our behalf and his righteousness, our sinful hearts will be cleansed and made holy, humble, and lowly, and our heart will be right in the sight of God. We will all have to face God in judgment, but there is a way to escape condemnation. Jesus Christ is the way the truth, and the life. Make sure, make sure you have turned to him in faith and trust and submit your life under his rule from now on. It's only through faith in Christ that you will escape condemnation on the day of judgment. And finally, churches ought to be prepared to discern the identity of the ungodly and prevent their influence. In verse 16, Jude tells us who these ungodly false teachers are. He describes them once again as as troublemakers in the church and relates them to the unbelieving Israelites whom the Lord delivered out of Egypt, but they refuse to believe that the Lord could be trusted uh, to lead them into the promised land. 
Uh, they were known primarily for their grumbling. And that is the same description that Jude gives for the ungodly here. Grumblers there in verse 16. Beware, it's not good to be known as a grumbler in the Bible. It's not just a sign of a negative disposition. Uh, it's not just, you know, like you're a Debbie Downer. It is instead a sign of rebellion against God, of ungodliness and ungratefulness to him. We are given a pretty good picture of what these false teachers were like then. Uh, Jude reminds us, uh, he re 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 reminds the church here that he's writing to that they ought to be ready for them. They ought to have been ready for these people. So verse 16 says, they, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. And then he says in verse 17, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is those who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. Uh, notice first what Judah's saying here about the time that they were living in. Uh, it says in verse 17, it was, uh, I'm sorry, verse 18, it was the last time. They are in the last time. The apostles warned them that in the last time, they should expect to see the very characters that they were dealing with in their church. Therefore, they were in the last time. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you want to just turn back a few pages in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, another one of the apostles, the apostle Paul, provides a similar warning to what Jude gives them about what the apostles said. 2 Timothy 3 Verses 1 through 5. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. So Judas telling the Christians he was writing to that the apostles' predictions were being realized in their church. They were dealing with such people as this, for they were in the last days. We are in the last days. We are in the last days. In the New Testament, the time between Christ's ascension and the time of his return are known as the last days, the last time. This is the last age before the beginning of the new age. So since it is the last days, we should also expect to see folks like this causing trouble in our churches. We shouldn't be surprised when it happens. For the apostles have alerted us to it. And they have also given these descriptions of them so we can recognize them and seek to prevent them from having influence over our churches. So beware then of accepting into church membership or leadership people like Jude is describing here. Verse 16, grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires, loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain Advantage, and then in verse 15, uh, following their own ungodly passions, scoffers. It's these who cause divisions, 
worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. They are those, he says, who will cause divisions within the church. So we need to be discerning enough to realize that even if they claim to be believers, even if they have a testimony of praying to receive Christ as Savior, if they are characterized as we observe their lives, and listen to what they say, listen to how they, how they uh, relate to other people, if they're characterized in these ways, then God is warning us they are worldly people. They're not godly people. They're not Christians. They are, he says, devoid of the Spirit. They are still in the flesh. They have no spiritual life. Holy Spirit is not dwelling within them. He says, it is these who cause divisions. Divisions within the church. Trouble within the church. So if we are to contend for the faith, Jude is telling us it will mean doing some difficult things. One of those difficult things is guarding the gate to church membership and leadership. Being careful about who we accept as members and leaders. And the primary characteristic we must look for is whether or not they are born again. Whether or not the Holy Spirit is really dwelling within them. And if the Holy Spirit is really dwelling within them, it will come out in how they live, in how they treat others. Now, they won't love and, and, uh, and uh, do all these things perfectly, but it will be there. It will be noticeable. If the Holy Spirit dwells within them, then the, Spirit, the, the fruit of the Spirit, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, thought said goodfulness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that will be just as evident in them as these ungodly characteristics are evident in those who are devoid of the Spirit. So this calling, this responsibility, is put upon the church. Will we take this seriously? will respond to what God's word is saying to us here. Will we prepare ourselves both for the judgment to come and for the ungodly who may seek to sneak into our churches and lead them astray? Now, as, we, as we've gone through this message this morning, you know, maybe you've heard these descriptions of ungodliness. Uh, maybe some of them have hit a little too close to home for you. Uh, you identify yourself in, in one or, or more of these ways, you know, like a grumbler, a complainer, someone who far too often follows your own sinful desires, someone who shows favoritism or uses flattery in order to gain personal advantage over other people. Well, the opportunity is here for you this morning as you have received God's word. It, it's, it's a gracious opportunity. It's an opportunity for you to respond in repentance. To respond in acknowledging that sin. Acknowledging that that is an evil way to live. And as you prepare yourself for the table, if you are in Christ, go to God Confess those sins. Acknowledge them to him. 
and trust in the saving work that your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross.